Father, thank you for your word and the way that it can teach us about who you are, about the ways that you desire your people to live. As we spend time looking at it together, give us open minds and hearts to receive your truth that it might inspire and challenge and transform us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I think one of the places that you really get an opportunity to witness people not caring about other people is on the road when you are driving. Every time somebody decides to text while they're driving, run a red light, all of these various things, or when a lane closes and everyone's backed up and they just want to go right by everybody and then squeeze in, um, all of it It's called annoying and drives everyone crazy who is in line. Um, Every time these various things happen, I get annoyed. (laughs) Um, I'm annoyed at the front row right now. (laughs) Couldn't resist. Uh, But another one that gets me, and I don't know how many people think about this, But it's when I could make a right turn on a red light and either somebody is in that lane, even though there's a lane next to it that goes straight, or they're right in between because you're like maybe coming out of a neighborhood and so you can't quite get by them and then you just have to sit there. I'm like, if you were over two feet, I could turn. Well, this happened on Monday. I'm coming out of my neighborhood and there's a van parked, and again, they could have been over to the left just a little. They were turning left, and I could have gone and turned right. And so being annoyed and judging this person harshly, I pulled up almost right underneath her just to let her know I was annoyed. Um, and I was getting ready to turn my blinker on really just to let her know. And I mean, it's a very priestly thing to do, by the way. <laughs> and as it's happening, she pulls as far forward as she can without actually getting into State Street and moves over so that I can get by. And as I pull up and I look to my left just to make sure, she goes, she mouths, I'm so sorry, and she waves. And I thought, I'm such a jerk. (laughs) And then I kept going. Um, but, But what occurred to me in that humbling moment is how often I think I know what other people are doing or thinking or what their motivations are or whatever else. Because I was thinking she just doesn't care. No, she probably just pulled up and there was nobody around. And she, but like, when we think we know more than we actually know, that's what happens in this account. When we look at the disciples of the Pharisees, and the Herodians, they think they know what's going on. They think they set the perfect trap. What happens when we actually get humbled, like I did in that moment, 
for our future? Or does anything happen? I want to look at their experience, and I want to look at what Jesus teaches us through it. Open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew 22. We're on page 1408, Matthew chapter 22, in the Pew Bible, page 1408. In many of these accounts, we don't have to guess what's going on because the gospel author quite often just right up front states it. And that's what happens here. All right? We know what's happening because he just tells us. Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. All right? So we know what's going on. Um, whatever happens in the account, we know that the underlying motivation is they want to trap him. All right, so here's what they do. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So you've got two groups of people. The Pharisees send some of their disciples, and perhaps that's a way of maybe getting Jesus not quite as, kind of off guard a little bit. These aren't the Pharisees who know everything. These are the students who are coming. Plus the Herodians, and we know very little about this group. About the only thing we know is they support Herod, the family of Herod. Um, They want Herod to reign. They want him to rule over more territory. Um, But we don't know much else. Odd group to be sending. Uh, You might send the Sadducees with the Herodians because the Sadducees had a lot of support for the overall ruling group. But the Pharisees... They did not. So you got two sets, and we'll see in Jesus' answer that he understands both of them are there, and they're part of the trap. Which side? The group that supports Herod or the group that really wants to overthrow the Romans and have the ruler of Jerusalem come in? So they sent the disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. You're genuine You're honest. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And Jesus teaches a lot. The things you're teaching, they are the things of God. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. And what that means is not that Jesus is a jerk. Like he doesn't pay attention to people and who they are. It means it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a ruling Roman citizen, or you could be a prostitute or a tax collector, your opinion is not going to change what Jesus believes or what he's going to teach. Uh, He's not looking to gain some type of reputation. So those are pretty amazing things to say about him. You're a man of integrity. You teach the truth about God. And you aren't swayed by what people say or think or their positions or anything like that. You stick to the truth. So with that being said, Jesus, tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? This question was hotly debated, and it was a huge challenge for first century Palestine. And here is why. This tax, it says imperial tax here. It is probably a poll tax. It is only for those who are non-Romans... This tax is for colonies. So basically, we come in and conquer you, and then you get to repay us by paying an extra tax that Roman citizens don't pay. 
You might think, wow, isn't that lovely? No, they hated it. To the point that in AD 6, they had a revolution trying to overthrow it because of this tax. In AD 66, it would happen again. Like, this was a huge thing. And if you pay this tax, are you supporting the Romans? All right, so now you're starting to see. Look at the two groups. If Jesus says we need to pay this tax, the Rhodians are like, yes. And what are the disciples of the Pharisees? Ah, see, you've been talking about the kingdom of God, but you really support the kingdom of Caesar. But if he says no, let me tell you what happened in 86 after that revolution. People were crucified all over the countryside, and their bodies were left hanging to make sure that no one else defied Rome and their taxes. So this puts Jesus in a very bad place. He can't seem to answer either way, and this is where I say they thought they knew more than they actually did. They were absolutely convinced. There's a reason at the very end that everybody's like, wow. They are amazed by his answer because they really thought they had him. You cannot say yes, you cannot say no. Because either way, you are sunk. Jesus first says this, and then we'll get to his answer. But we need to see how he sees it. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Hypocrites. We need to think about this because I truly believe that hypocrisy, as evil and awful as it is, can also be subtle. Here's what's going on with these guys. They have come out and they've said to Jesus, you are a bunch of things. And by the way, they're accurate in that, right? He is a man of integrity. He does teach the word of God in truth. And he is not swayed by the people around him. All those things are true. Do they believe them? Clearly not. Or they would not be trying to trap him in their words. They'd be following him, right? Why do they say it? Because they want to trap him. They are hypocrites. It is very blatant. It is very out in front. To us, of course, reading the story. But I don't think all hypocrisy always works that way. Jesus is going to show them in a moment where they are hypocrites by pulling out a coin. Actually, they're going to have to pull out the coin. And the very fact that they have the coin means what? They use the money of Caesar. They paid the very taxes they're trying to catch him in. Um, but I think hypocrisy sometimes is more subtle. Let me ask you if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever gotten really frustrated with somebody, gotten onto them, and then discovered the same thing in yourself? Has that ever happened? Ever gotten angry at somebody and then discovered that you do the same thing? But do you change? Do you even admit? Or do you just kind of, oh, golly. Uh. You see, I think our hypocrisy runs very deep. I think we're very good at noticing all of the things going on and how bad it can be. And yet, inside, we do half of the same things. We judge others for the very things that we also do, and yet we don't admit it. And as long as we don't have to admit it, we can keep it down inside, and we can keep living in our hypocrisy. 
I read this fascinating story. In 2012, beginning of the year, um, Hugh R. Markham was about to publish his first spy novel. And it had gotten rave reviews. Other authors had given great blurbs calling it dazzling and instant classic. There were also publishers, huge publishers, who said, great book, this is going to be amazing. And then it was released. And five days later, on a James Bond fan site, somebody wrote, why read this book when you can just read chapter 4 of John Gardner's newest book from James, or one of his books from James Bond. It has all of it in there, word for word. That led to more research and more people diving in and discovering this entire book was put together from a series of James Bond books. Um, he used some nonfiction work, one of them about a, a government agency that he was using things that weren't spy novels. In the first 35 pages, there were 34 different parts of plagiarism. I mean, it was like just, it was huge. Once the publishing company, Little Brown in England, found out about this, they tried to pull it, but of course it was already out there. If you go to Amazon right now, you can find his book for $44. It's a used copy. And all of the comments are all about, it had to have been a hoax. No, he's just a terrible person. I mean, they all know it. You can find it in some other places, and it's not even mentioned that the whole thing is plagiarized. He had to write authors and apologize to them. Now, granted, the authors, maybe the spy guys should have like, noticed that some of these things, because they're reading all the same spy novels, right? Um, but he, he apologized to some of these people. But I mean, could you imagine being able... People thought in some ways it was actually a masterpiece because nobody had done that before. Of course, plagiarism's all out there. But most of the time, it's one or two authors that you're... He took all of these authors and just put his own story together from them. Plagiarism and the way he did it is a great form of hypocrisy. He claimed all of this as his own. This is my writing. I'm putting it out there. When in actuality, he had stolen from this person and from this person and from this person and from this thing over here. Hypocrisy. Let me ask you, what is it in your life? Where are you judging people more harshly than you judge yourself? Where are you so upset with others knowing you do the same thing? Because hypocrisy is really deadly. And it is really hard when we live lives of hypocrisy to actually be humbled and hear the words of Jesus and do them. So how does Jesus answer this? Here's how he does it. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. Um, it is possible, there are a couple of scholars, because of the language here, they are in a place in the temple where they may not even want to carry this coin because it is an image of Caesar on it. 
and it calls him the divine son. Um, the Jews hated this. There was some coinage that you could actually use if you were Jewish that did not have the image, specially made for them, because they hated this so much. But you could not pay the imperial tax with anything but the image of Caesar. So they had to go and get it, and they bring it to Jesus. But again, the very fact that they have it says something about them. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. It's about a day's wage. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And I can't help but wondering if I were in that scene. Some of them are going, what's he doing? What's he getting at? Wait a minute. Why does he ask this question? And just wondering. So they just shout out, well, it's Caesar's. I mean, what else are you going to say, right? You shouldn't have said that. He then said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And it's interesting, the NIV tries to get across that the verb changed in Greek. When they talk about giving, they use a word that just means give. It, it, it could be for any number of reasons. Didymi, it's give. Jesus changes it here to apodidymi, which is often a giving that is owed. So it's different. For Jesus, it's pay back what you owe is the idea. But to two different entities, pay to Caesar what you owe to Caesar and pay to God what you owe to God. Now, how do you determine that? Well, the way he does it here, and it might be almost this way. You can imagine him looking at the Pharisees, the disciples of the Pharisees, and going, whose image is on the coin? Caesar? Okay. Then you guys, you need to give to Caesars what is his. While then turning to the Rhodians and going, and let me ask it this way. Whose image is in you? Give to God what is God's. You belong to him, not to Herod. And if you put these two things together, this is what I think Jesus gets at. I don't want to take this too far because... Every scholar you read on this will say Jesus is not trying to make a statement that completely defines our relationship to government and to God. It's too simple for that. But at least this much is there. Right now, the kingdom of God is present, but not in its fullness. Right now, we live in the world. But we are citizens of heaven. And we know eternity is coming, and that is our home, eternity. But while we are here, we must have a balance between honoring this system, honoring the government, honoring where we live, and honoring God. And you cannot use God as an excuse to not pay your taxes. You cannot use God as an excuse to not be a good citizen of the country in which you live. And you cannot use your politics as an excuse to not truly honor the Lord Jesus Christ. To get these two things confused, to fall one way or another, like we live in between. Now, I also need to make this point. Honor Caesar with what is his, and that was the coin. 
But honor God with what is his. That is you. You always honor God over the government. However, it is rare that those two things are actually at odds. And if you think I'm lying about that, Paul told the Romans under a Roman emperor who was an awful person, obey the laws. I understand that in this room right now, there are people that hate Biden and people who hate Trump. I don't care. We are still called to honor whoever the president is of the United States. We are called to be good citizens. And we are called to honor God. And it may not be easy all the time, but we don't have an excuse as Christians to ignore that. What does it look like to be a good citizen? It's interesting that their first question, is it right to pay the imperial tax? That question carries the idea of, is it appropriate? You know, is that what is the, the right thing in this situation? I want to give you an example of somebody that I thought was a good citizen. And it's a relatively safe example because it has nothing to do with politics. I've pretty much said my political thing. I'm going to go to just good citizenship, okay? A man named Ron Williams, who lives in Charleston, he was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that has made his life very painful. This was 12 years ago when he was diagnosed. And he found that one of the things that helped some of the pain was walking. So he just began to walk the city every day. And while he was walking, he noticed trash. And he began to pick it up. And every single day, he picks up trash. He goes around the city and just, he picks up the trash. And he got interviewed a couple of years ago. And he said, it just, I don't understand. I don't understand why people will just, they'll be driving along and they'll just throw trash out the window. I don't understand. Because this is, and listen to this, this is our city. We should be taking care of this. I just don't know why people would do this. And he, after that interview, got contacted by some people, and he ended up putting a Facebook page up, and now there are 32 people that are walking around helping to pick up trash for no other reason than this is our city. We want to take care of it. It was the right thing to do. What if we just asked ourselves more often, what is the right thing to do? What would help this person over here? What would help our city? What would help my neighborhood? What would help my neighbor? What would help my friend or my family? What if we just said, much, so he asked, he's asking this question, whose image, whose coin does this belong to? Who's, who do you belong to? What Ron Williams was saying is, who does the city belong to? It belongs to me. Why would I not take care of it? What if we just ask the question, what is the right thing to do? Like this family belongs to me. I live in this country. What is the right thing to do? And we tried to honor God by doing it. That's this passage. And Jesus' answer gets this response. When they heard this, 
They were amazed. So they left him and went away. And here's what I thought. On Monday, I was humbled because I did not know everything about the situation, and I thought I did, and I was kind of a jerk and all these kind of things. And I thought, man, what a jerk. Well, then on Thursday, no, Friday, our Internet service went out. And my wife works from home, and she texted me. She's like, how do I reset this? What do I do? I can't work. I'm like, okay, figure this out. Um, I couldn't get there at the time because I was in a meeting. When I got out, I called the service provider. And I said, hey, our internet is out. Can you tell me, is there an outage in the area? And the lady said, let me check. And so she goes on and she looks over things. She gets back. She says, I do not see an outage. Um, Have you tried resetting the modem? Typical tech, right? When you call tech support, I'm like, yes, we reset the modem. It it didn't do anything. There's got to be more. She's like, this just got me. She said, did you check the wires in the back and make sure they're fully connected? And at that point, I really wanted to just call this lady names or something because I thought, this is so ridiculous. What I said instead of that was, look, um, about every six to nine months, it seems like our internet goes out for a while and it's often during storms. Can you just recheck and make sure it's not out like in my neighborhood? She's like, I will do that, sir. I'll tell you what. Why don't I call you back in about 15 minutes? Let me do this work. That way you don't have to sit there. I'm like, great. So she calls me back, and I am fully expecting there's outage. She's like, I'm sorry, sir. There's not an outage. Um, Maybe when you get home, you can check those wires. And I'm like, oh. So I'm like, okay. I held it when I get home. Thank you very much. And I I almost hung up. I mean, I was just so frustrated. I'm like, stupid tech people. Uh, So I get home, and Aaron leaves the office. I bring my computer in. I was going to connect to the modem and check things out. But I thought, let me go check the wire first. And I went back, and I jiggled the wire, and it came back on. And I felt like such a, it wasn't a jerk anymore. It was a stronger word that I can't say here. But I also thought, in that moment, do I ever learn anything from being humbled? (laughs) Five days ago, I thought I knew more than I did. And now, five days later, I think I know more than I do, and I'm still doing the same dumb thing. And in their case, they're like, this is amazing. And so they left and went away. And here, I don't think any of them came to Jesus. I don't think a single one of them went, wow, he is actually amazing. I'm going to change my life and become a follower of Jesus. No, they went, well, that's amazing, and then went on to do the exact same things. Let's change. (laughs) I mean, let's just like try to get out of the cycle and actually go, maybe I want to be different and not just do the same things over and over again. And I'm talking to myself, by the way, and to you guys, I guess. Let's hear the words of Jesus and let it make a difference in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son that he is and was a man of integrity who taught the truth and who wasn't swayed by the opinions of others. Help us to hold on to that and to listen to him more carefully, to see the hypocrisy in our lives, the ways that we hear his words often go, we're amazed, and then turn around and do the opposite. Lord, reveal those things to us. 
that we can be different people. We ask this in his holy name. Amen.